0: as we go towards Easter, it helps us kind of reboot. There's been a lot going on um, in the past few years. I don't know if you noticed. And as we've kind of navigated through all of this, things have looked differently. Things have not been uh, normal. And some of it's been good. Some of it's been experimental um, as far as what we're doing and how we do it. Um, But one thing that is uh, important is that when we When we refocus on the foundations of our faith and why we believe what we believe. Because right now, there's just a lot of confusion out there. There's a lot of different opinions when it comes to how a Christian should view things and where a Christian should come from. And really, if I want to give you a spoiler alert on all of this, it's really quite simple but also very difficult uh, to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Very simple. But also very difficult. So I wanted to go through that as we lead up to Easter, and uh, if we could just pull it down, it's like really ringing in my ear. I do have a constant ring in my ear, which is very normal, but that's not what that is. That's better. Perfect. Thank you. Um, and so as we move towards Easter, I want us to kind of reboot. I want us to kind of look at things. And if you're okay in some areas, and are like, oh, that's really simple, that's great, uh, and you don't need the reminder, perfect, Then you're in a better place than a lot of us, but it's just going to help us as we get towards Easter, as we slowly move into some type of normalcy, whatever that looks like um, is in the future, but I wanted us to build towards that. And t- today we're going to talk a little bit about tradition within the church, just a little bit. And I want to read some scriptures for you as to why there is, in churches, there are structures put in place. I just want to give a basic so 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 is: here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And then 2 Timothy 1:13, what you heard from me keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. And then 2 Timothy 3. 14 to 15, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Another scripture in 2 Timothy we'll get to in, in just a little bit that I want to cover. But God wants us to understand the big concepts of faith the big concepts of believing in Him. And I want to ask you this morning, do you appreciate the traditions of the church and understand their value? And that's really the key, the last part of that statement. Do you understand the value of traditions? There was a time when it was common in the church to rely upon teaching documents to educate and explain church doctrine to new believers. They wrote it down. And the practice is part of catechisms, okay? And, And it's a document that is used to walk through the faith. And a lot of us think of catechisms as something maybe in the Catholic church or other churches, and it is true they do that. But We do have our own type set of catechism, basic beliefs and foundations, but we don't always really focus on that. And many evangelical churches uh, and Pentecostal churches today do not use a catechism um, or look at it like it's a dead tradition, like, oh, that's the old way of doing things. But it is important to remember that as we look at our passages today that the early church felt it was important to have some formalized church doctrine, some important foundational, it's basically beliefs and values. In order uh, to have that, the faith of the church is the one that spread it by transmission from one believer to another person. And this was God's plan from the beginning, as we see in Deuteronomy chapter six, talks about uh, respect the teach, uh, re- repeat the teachings of your children. Uh, and then in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, go and make disciples, teaching them as you go. So there are, there's proof that teaching and doctrine and important beliefs need to be there. Why? Well, because I don't know if you've noticed over the last few years, but we've had a really good crash course on socialism, on, on the way people are socially. Um, when you, you read people and you, and you follow how people act and how they respond in certain situations, we have had a crash course on humanity. And it's shocking. There are some amazing parts in there that are positive, but there are some amazing negatives that have come out of Christianity. And I'm not here to beat on that. I'm not going to, it's not a downer today. But it's something to be aware of. There are people spouting off scriptures that are incorrect and in the wrong context. And we need to stop doing that as Christians. When we use scripture, to bend it to the way we want to think we've become the problem okay scripture should you should struggle with it you should have you should go up against it as you battle through learning what it means and what it's talking about there should be also and I'm sorry to use this word an evolution of your faith a belief that grows and continues to be more closer to God as well as more knowledgeable in the faith. And in 2 Timothy 3 14 and 15, which we read earlier, Paul reminds Timothy that somebody else taught him about God. Somebody else walked alongside him. This is an example of a catechism, whether it's formal or informal, we're not quite sure. But it was in the process in which someone taught Timothy the faith that was agreed upon within the church and Paul also reminded Timothy to follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me from Paul. And so we have a record here of at least two people who taught Timothy about the faith. So about uh, the faith. So why do we need to even get involved in all of this? Well, it is essential, an essential element for the church today uh, that there are people who are teaching and agreed upon faith uh, to the next generation of believers that we pass it down to others that come to believe. So really it's putting a responsibility on mature Christians. Those have been around, but it's, it's, it's actually on every Christian. And there are several indications that what was being taught within these scriptures, and, and at this time, it was agreed upon. When we look at the Greek word trustworthy, it's actually the word for faith, but it's translated trustworthy, nine times throughout the New Testament, and six of those occur within the Pauline epistles, the, the, the books or letters that Paul wrote. The repetition of this word, as well as the message that Christ came for sinners, and especially the phrasing in Titus chapter 1 verse 9, which I'm going to read to you in a minute, combined. To paint a picture of a level of standardization that was present within the church, and Titus is talking about elders. Titus chapter one and uh, throughout, but it, it in the uh, in verse nine, it says it's talking about the the ministry and how elders are supposed to be in a certain way, and it says holding to the faithful message as taught, so that he will be able to encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict that teaching so basically we need to know our faith we need to understand the foundations of our belief system so that if somebody comes up and questions you as to why you believe what you believe you can tell them i mean i don't think it's necessarily an aggressive angry conversation but it's something that we need to recognize where we are able to have an answer and be ready in and out of season. So Paul is telling Timothy, remember your lessons on this topic. It was a standardization of faith. It was a statement, and there's uh, core beliefs involved in that. And one of the examples is in 2 Timothy 2, uh, verses 11 to 13, and we might have that up there. Uh, here's a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithful less, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Now, this is recognized as as a type of hymn, uh, of a confession of faith, kind of similar to in Philippians. If you're taking notes, go to look in Philippians chapter 2. It's talking about having the mindset of Christ or attitude of Christ. But scholars believe this hymn was, part, was, was actually part of their belief system because of the rhythmic structure that's involved in it. It's formulaic and the repetition within it. And so in this passage, we're given a window into one of the teaching documents that, that early church used. And you're going, well, I didn't expect to get an early church you know, talk today. But I know I find this stuff fascinating because it's important to know where it comes from so we know where to place value on these things. Now, we use documents... We use teaching documents and teachers to teach us lessons in everything we do. When you go to school, there's a curriculum. When you go downstairs to uh, uh, kids' ministry, there's a curriculum. When you go to life group, there should be some type of curriculum, some type of structure, some type of order of teachings. And it's important that we recognize even if we have a job, we have to have been taught by somebody. How many have ever been an apprentice or been mentored by somebody else at a job? Whether it's an office job, it's whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. Construction, trades, doesn't matter. Office, business. Somebody had to tell you and show you what to do and how to do it. The thing with scripture is that as we learn more and get deeper in we continue to grow and become stronger in our faith and our belief system. Does that mean we're doing it so we can argue and pick it and stand out and fight? No, that's not that's not what it's for. It's for knowing why we believe what we believe so if someone asks, we can tell them. We have people in our lives that have wisdom, they have experience so that we can learn from them. And this is not a new concept. But there can be problems with this whole situation. There can be two issues that I've noticed. One is that the more experienced, more mature Christians do not want to pass down their wisdom to the younger generations um, because they just don't want to, or they're tired, or whatever. Or uh, and I strongly believe that between that or the younger generations, they, they think they know it all. And again, this is a general statement, so don't get all excited about it. Or they just don't want to know. Or there's a bad example of that. Okay? So there's two problems. One is that the more mature Christians don't want to be examples. And again, I would never speak of you. But it's an issue we need to watch out there. Older Christians don't want to be an example, don't want to be mature. And, and has given an example to the younger generation where they don't even, they're not even interested. And that's a problem that's coming. It's a problem we've been having. The, the church in general, just churches have had for a long time, dealing with that group of people, because what Scripture is so clear about is that the older should mentor and, and help bring up those that are coming up younger in the faith younger in age whatever it is. So if you're a mature Christian this morning and you've been around for a while and you're not pouring your faith your life or whatever into somebody just because you know we get to a certain age whatever that age is and we decide well I'm done doesn't mean we stop being a Christian. We don't retire from our job and then retire from Christianity and work that way. We continue to be that. And this isn't to put all the blame on anyone who's older or retired or whatever. It's to it's to give you something to chew on for a little while. Because there are a lot of people within Christianity that are not being an example, that are not trying to mentor and bring people up and help them along the way. I mean, you know that if Star Wars is a great illustration of this, if, if Empire Strikes Back, where, where uh, Luke, Luke had to go to meet Yoda, I mean, Yoda of all people, and, and because, see, I, I, I'm not into these other shows like Lord of the Rings because they're not real, whereas Star Wars is more realistic. <laughs> and of course, I just forgot to add this, that um, the Canucks beat the Toronto Maple Leafs last night. Sorry. Yeah. Standing on the promises of God. But everyone needs a Mentor. Everyone needs someone. To, and and we, we tend to use, throw that word around a lot. But really, it's been going on for a long time just informally. But it's important that we bring people along and we help them. Now, there is a difference, and as we get into this, we'll talk about But whether, whether you're working at a church or whether you're working in a trade or whatever your office, going to school, you need someone to walk with you, and to learn from because of their wisdom and their experience. So you need a mature Christian who's going to walk along with you and help you. And it can be difficult, but it's not always going to be enjoyable, but that is how life is. Paul talks here and encourages his proteges whom he taught and helped, to remember the lessons they learned so they could have success in their roles, now, in particular in the church, but it can transfer over to others. Another way to explain the importance of tradition tradition is by building construction. You've you've heard before I've used the illustration of a cornerstone. And throughout Scripture, um, if you go back to Psalm chapter 118, uh, verse 22 talks about that Jesus is referred to as the stone that the builders rejected. And it's mentioned also in Mark chapter 12, verses 10 to 11, that Jesus is that stone. And everything else kind of goes around if, if If Christ is the cornerstone of our faith, then we could say that traditions are the building blocks on and from that cornerstone. So we, in Europe, and, and uh, any, anytime, um, Michelle really likes churches and castles and those things, so we would go go through them, and uh, in Europe, lots of churches are, are massive construction, and then some of these castles, and a lot of them are built off of a cornerstone, and if you've ever seen a cornerstone, it's actually not that big, it's quite small. Everything comes and puts pressure on that. You pull the cornerstone out, everything else in the whole building collapses. Jesus is our cornerstone, and we build our foundational beliefs around that cornerstone, it's important that we recognize that. Now, we worship Jesus, who is the cornerstone. We don't worship the traditions around it. Okay? Like, that's really important. But those traditions can be vital to learning more and growing and becoming stronger in our faith with Jesus. Much of the church stands on traditions. On traditions. And it's not a bad thing to have traditions. But we don't worship the traditions we don't worship. And when I say traditions, we have a culture within our own church, and others have cultures in their church. You have cultures everywhere you go. There's office culture, there's school culture, there's classroom culture, there's all sorts of different groups that have a culture about them. We don't worship the culture. okay? We worship Jesus. And we have to be careful as we're navigating. And unless you're Um, traditions are rotten, you risk the stability of the entire structure if you remove the stones of tradition. So because everything is weighted on that cornerstone, when you start moving other things around it, you also cause trouble with your foundation, with where all the pressure is laying on. And so now the question here today is to you, I want to ask you, are your traditions rotten? Are the things that you value within the church, are they a little bit off? Have you checked your traditions? Are you worshiping those traditions, or are you focused on the person that those traditions were created for, for us to express how we feel? You know, when Israel was taken captive multiple times throughout the Old Testament. They would copy certain aspects of other religions. Okay? And God all along said, don't worry about what other groups do, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, all of them. Don't worry about how they worship or what they do. Worry about focusing on me. And what did Israel do every time? They would complain. Well, how come... How come everyone else has a temple for their God and we don't have one for ours? And so, okay, we'll do one. And then, and then why don't we have a king? Everyone else has a king. All the other nations have a king. And they would take traditions from other people groups and put them into their religious belief system. And God told them not to in some cases, but our whole foundation has been built on the people. And here's what I want you to focus on. The people trying to express themselves the best way they could to a deity that they had a difficult time understanding. So they would say, you know what, that looks like a good idea on how we could worship with God, so we want to do that, whatever that might be, whatever that expression may be. The issue is, if I take away those expressions, so it used to be like this when I grew up in the church, drums were of the devil. And the reason, the reason why is because of other people's cultures. Drums in the jungle, all sorts of stuff going on, it, it bothered people, those kind of things. And it was also associated with rock and roll. Ken would not be allowed to play that. That would be very too close to, you know, people in the bars. And people didn't want to be associated with that. But, you know, a lot of our hymns, I don't know if you knew this, were were taken from bar songs. Bar songs. When you sing about Jesus in the tune of an old bar song, how can anyone be blessed by that? And I'm sarcastic, by the way. See, if we focus too much on the bar tune, we miss what the words are saying about the person we want to express that worship to. And so when we have all these instruments here, you couldn't do that 20, 30 years ago in most Pentecostal churches. You couldn't do it. Just piano and a singer and an organ. That's all you're allowed to have because only God blesses the organ and the piano and four-part harmonies only. please. Only four-part. You go above that, well, you might get an extra blessing that day, but it's a, little, it's a little over the top. You see, we don't want to worship the traditions. We want to worship the person. So if we express ourselves in four-part harmony, that's great. We express ourselves with a choir, that's great. If we express ourselves by quietly looking over Scripture and meditating on His Word, that's Okay. But we don't worship the process. We worship the person that process was created for. So when you think about it, you have to ask yourself does your faith, do your foundational beliefs, do your values, will it work in any situation in your life, whatever you're going through? Will it work in the poorest parts of Africa? Will it work downtown, east side Vancouver? Your belief system and your values. Will it work? We don't want to throw away everything. We don't want to throw away tradition. We don't want to throw away history because we learn from that. And that's in everything. I'm talking everything in our culture. We don't throw it away. We want to remember the good and the bad so we don't do the bad again. Tradition is important to put in place. Again, not the worship of the process of that tradition, but who we are fixed on. I think sometimes, we used to have it in the church back in the day when I was a kid, certain people sat in certain spots. I don't know if you remember this in church. You, certain, you sat in certain spots. My mom always sat in the back row. No matter what church we were at, back row, just to the side. But then there were other churches where people Specifically, this is where I sit. And no one's allowed to sit in my spot, even a visitor. Visitors, don't be taking up Nor people who are here all the time spots. It's rude. Again, sarcasm. It doesn't matter where you sit. It doesn't matter what songs we sing, how they sound, where we do them, how we do them. It's important, though, where our focus is. So we need others to come around us, we need others to help talk to us about the past, the things that we've learned throughout all of this, the experiences we've had, the struggles we've had with our own faith. So there's two things that Christians, I think, we need to look at adapting in our lives. One is building our faith on the foundation of Jesus Christ by devotions, by prayer, and by service. The second thing is mentoring and pouring into others in the face, or in the simplest terms, being an example of the love of Jesus Christ. I think what happens after a certain amount of time in the church, we become frustrated and we stop pouring into others. We stop walking with others because life gets busy and life gets messy. And because we have not built our belief system on a strong foundation, we forget why we are here. Forget the whole point of it. The problem is no one has ever said that life was going to be easy. And no one has ever, ever said that life wasn't going to be messy. And from my point of view, as long as people are involved, life is going to be messy. Life is going to be difficult. So what's the point of all of this? Well, I want to challenge you this morning to find your passion for Jesus and ask God to guide you deeper into knowing him, into knowing him, knowing your foundational belief systems. How do we do that? We do that by joining a life group. We do that by serving in the church and being a part of a a community of believers, all who have the same focus and goal in mind. You might have a different path to that end goal, to your goal, or you're in your journey, you maybe on a little different path than someone else, but we're not judging the path. We want you to be focused on the goal. I've always said to people, when I'm in leadership, I've always said somebody comes up, they want to do something, I don't care how we get there, I just want to get there. For me, I want to get there the fastest way possible, but for others, they like the scenic route. And it happens. But as long as we get to the end, if I hand something over, I want to get to the end. Just finish it. This is the end result. How you get there doesn't matter. We're all in a different space. We're all in a different path. But it's important those that have been around in the faith for a longer period of time are there, able to reach out in love. No judgment. No prior agendas. We're just trying to help people along their journey towards a relationship that's strong with Jesus Christ. So I want to challenge you to find your passion. Secondly, I want to challenge you to look past your preferences, past your personal comfort zones, and start accepting people where they are at. Do not try to change them. And here's why I say that. Because if God is going to work in their lives, and if he is who we think he is and how powerful he is and how he wants to be involved in every individual's life, how about we let him do the work? I mean, honestly, it's a lot. It's too much for, for me to handle. I'm sure it's too much for you to handle. So let him do the work. We will just be available when he wants us to when we're able to, when He's given us the green light. And notice I didn't say, let, let us change them. I said, let God change them. Let God do what He has done since the beginning of creation and let Him do the work. Just be available and show the love of God to others. Love your neighbor. And so ask the Holy Spirit this morning... To assist you in walking with others on their journeys. And then watch God do what He's gonna do. Don't manipulate the situation, don't coerce. Let God do the work. Just be available. If God is, is who He said He is and who we believe He is to be, then we don't have to force anything, we'll let Him do the heavy lifting. We're just going to be available. So the challenges today are dig deep into your faith and build your found deep foundation, your belief system. Know what it is. And we're going to give you opportunities for that with life groups. We'll have classes and all that kind of stuff coming up as we start to move into a more open, different setting. Um, and the second thing is be there for others to pour into them. Again, we don't coerce. We don't have an agenda. We don't manipulate. We let God do the work because when God does the work, it sticks. If I force it, it doesn't stick. It doesn't stick because they haven't come to their own realization of who God is. Let God do it. What can you do? Again, build your foundation, get involved, pour into people, but you can pray. You can pray for them, and then watch God do even more. Let Him do the work. Just be available. Just be ready, whatever it is. And sometimes you just have to be an example. You don't have to say anything. Don't say a word. Just be there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for everyone here. Thank you for your word. Help us to recognize where we are at with you help us to recognize who we're pouring into if we are pouring send people our way help us to be the great example help us to be an example of you so that when people look at us they'll see you it's hard it's difficult we're not always good at it help us to be better but baby steps And so as we pour into other people's lives, let us recognize when to speak, when to be quiet, and let us recognize when you are doing a work, and we just need to step out of the way. Thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name. Everyone set. Amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great week, and we're going to see you next Sunday.